Hello, once again, this is Dr. Phil Fernandez, the founder of the Institute of Biblical Defense and the academic dean of Farrison Theological Seminary. Today's lecture is lecture number three of the cults. Lecture number three of the cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, part one. Jehovah's Witnesses, part one, lecture number three of the cults. As we discussed, the Jehovah's Witnesses, also known as the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, the Jehovah's Witnesses, as we begin to discuss them, uh, we're going to first discuss their history, the history of the Jehovah's Witnesses. The, whole, the Jehovah's Witnesses were started by Charles Taze Russell. Charles Taze Russell, also known as Pastor Russell. He began the movement in the 1870s. He began the movement in the 1870s, and his Bible study was known as the Millennial Dawn. The Millennial Dawn. His followers were originally known as Russellites. His followers were originally known as Russellites. Now, Russell himself had been raised in Orthodox Christianity. He was raised in a genuine Christian setting. Now you find this with people like Russell. You find Joseph Smith had a background in Christianity at one part of his life. You find uh, Mary Baker Eddy of Christian Science. How could someone be raised in Orthodox Christianity and then start a non-Christian cult? Well, let's take a look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. And so we see that those who apostatize from the faith, those who leave the faith and begin teaching non-Christian doctrines, that begin teaching heresies which contradict the essential teachings of the Christian faith, the Bible says that they were never saved. And so Charles Taze Russell, also known as Pastor Russell, began the movement in the 1870s his Bible study was known as the Millennial Dawn. His followers were originally known as Russellites, and Russell himself had been raised in Orthodox Christianity. But he deviated, he departed from Christian, the Christian faith, he deviated because eternal torment seemed unjust to him. He thought it was unjust that God would eternally torment those who rejected his son. He also believed that Christ's return would be invisible. Russell also believed that Christ's return would be invisible. And for these two reasons, more than any other, he left the Christian fold. And of course, the Apostle John says that just shows, that just proves that he never really was saved. 
Now, his character is also called into question due to certain facts. Uh, number one, he twice lied under oath in court. He twice lied under oath in court. Uh, he claimed to know Greek, and then it was proved right then and there that he did not know New Testament Greek. In fact, he did not even know the Greek alphabet. And then he denied that he had been divorced and uh, recanted on that when the uh, divorce papers were presented to him. So he twice lied under oath in court, and that raises some question about his character. He was also sued by a Brooklyn newspaper. He was sued by a Brooklyn newspaper for fraudulent money-making schemes. Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, was sued by a Brooklyn newspaper for fraudulent money-making schemes. Another question mark on his character is that his prophecy of Armageddon, his prophecy of Armageddon failed to come about in 1914. His prophecy of Armageddon failed to come about in 1914. Now, Russell typical of many founders of cults, Russell believed that the supreme authority, the supreme authority was not the Bible, but was his interpretation of the Bible. So Russell believed that the supreme authority was not the Bible, but was his interpretation of the Bible. Now after Russell died, Joseph Franklin Rutherford, also known as Judge Rutherford. Judge Rutherford su su succeeded Russell as the president of the Watchtower Society in 1917. So in 1917, Rutherford succeeded Russell as president of the Watchtower Society. Now Rutherford hated all other religions with a passion. He hated all other religions with a passion, and he was a powerful speaker like Russell. Often founders of cults are very captivating. When they speak, they uh, gather large followings to themselves. So Rutherford was a powerful speaker like Russell, and he kept Russell's doctrine, but he erased Russell's name. He kept Russell's doctrine, but erased Russell's name. In the Kingdom of the Cults, Professor Walter Martin shows the teachings of the Jehovah's Witnesses in one column and in the other column the teachings of Russell to show that they're identical. The modern-day Jehovah's Witnesses like to deny any link with Russell, especially because of his uh, twice lying under oath in court and some of his prophecies that have failed. And so Joseph Franklin Rutherford II, president of the Jehovah's Witnesses, who was a powerful speaker like Russell, kept Russell's doctrine, kept Russell's teachings, but erased Russell's name. Rutherford was the first to place the emphasis on the word Jehovah. Remember, there were the Russellites before Rutherford came along, and Rutherford was the first to place the emphasis on the word Jehovah. Rutherford's prophecies of Armageddon failed in 1918, 
and in 1925. So Rutherford's prophecies of Armageddon failed in 1918 and in 1925. One of the main factors in the rise of Rutherford in power, in the rise of the Jehovah's Witnesses in power, was the fact that Rutherford stressed the importance of the printed page. Rutherford stressed the importance of the printed page as a means through which he could gather many followers. And so Russell had started this cult. Rutherford picked it up where he left off. And then in 1942, Nathan Homer Knorr, K-N-O-R-R, Nathan Homer Knorr, became president of the Watchtower Society in 1942. And at that point, all Watchtower literature began to be written anonymously. Nathan Homer Knorr became president in 1942. And at that point in time, all Watchtower literature began to be written anonymously. It was also during his reign of power that the New World Translation of the Bible was written. The New Translation, New World Translation of the Bible was written, which is actually a mockery of a translation. There were no Greek and Hebrew scholars who worked on it. Uh, apparently, they just looked at all the other translations and picked whichever one they liked best. And if they didn't find any that they liked, they just decided to make their own, just make it say what they wanted it to say. So John 1, 1 reads, Not in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But instead it reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. But Nathan Homer Knorr, became president in 1942. All Watchtower literature began to be written anonymously, and a New World Translation of the Bible came about during this time. And the fourth person I'd like to discuss is Frederick W. Franz. Frederick W. Franz, F-R-A-N-Z. He became president in 1977. He became president in 1977, and he was long considered the Watchtower's leading theologian. So Frederick W. Franz became president in 1977, and he was long considered the Watchtower's leading theologian. And so if you can remember a little bit about each of these four men, you have the history of the Jehovah's Witnesses. If you remember the history of Charles Taze Russell, Joseph Franklin Rutherford, Nathan Homer Knorr, and Frederick W. Franz. Just a couple quick statistics on the Jehovah's Witnesses. Their headquarters are in Brooklyn, New York. Headquarters for the Jehovah's Witnesses is Brooklyn, New York. And today they have over 4 million members worldwide. The Jehovah's Witnesses are headquartered in Brooklyn, New York, and they've grown to over 4 million members worldwide. At this point, we'll get right into the theology 
of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the theology of the Jehovah's Witnesses. In fact, I'd like to refer you to two of their works. They have, by the way, the Watchtower magazine is uh, one of their most important tools. But then there's another book, there's a book written by them, Let God Be True, or Let God Be Found True, I'm not sure which one it is, which covers many of their doctrines. It's written anonymously, published by the Watchtower Society, but no author's name is given. And then, of course, the New World Translation of the Bible, which, as I said before, is a mockery of a translation. Let's talk about the theology of the Jehovah's Witnesses. The theology of the Jehovah's Witnesses. First, the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ. This is denied by the Jehovah's Witnesses. For the Jehovah's Witnesses state that Jesus is not God, he is a God. So he's not the God, he is a God. This is an outright denial of the deity of Christ. In fact, the Jehovah's Witnesses not only declare that Jesus is not God, but they also declare that he is Michael, the Archangel. So the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that not only that Jesus is not God, but that he is Michael, the Archangel. The Jehovah's Witnesses refer to Jesus as God's first creation, God's first creation, who created all else. The Jehovah's Witnesses state that Jesus is not the God, he is a God, he is Michael the Archangel, he is God's first creation who created all else. But this just doesn't hold when tested with Scripture. For Isaiah 9 verse 6 tells us that for unto us a child is born, Unto us the Son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Almighty God. And so the child that is to be born, the Lord Jesus Christ, is referred to as the Almighty God, not a God. John chapter 1, verse 1 reads, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses insert the Ah in front of God there. So they make it that the Word was a God. Grammatically speaking, you could do this. Grammatically speaking, you could do this if the context called for it. But in John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 14, uh, verses 1 to 18, uh, the name uh, God refers to the Father. Theos refers to the Father several times. And uh, during those times, you could also insert uh, in front of it. But the Jehovah's Witnesses never choose to insert the uh, before God the Father they just decide to do it before God the Son. And so it's done very randomly. It's done not in accordance with the context of the passage. Remember, the Apostle John is a first century Jew. He is a monotheist. He believes in only one God. 
the only time he would ever use language any Jew would ever use language of gods more than one God or a God he would be referring to false gods and obviously he would not refer to Jesus as a false God therefore when he refers to Jesus he is referring to him as the God of the Bible now second Peter chapter 1 and verse 1 Peter refers to Jesus as our God and Savior Jesus Christ that's 2nd Peter 1 1 Colossians 2 9 Colossians 2 9 says for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 7 tells us that Jesus Christ existed in the form of God Jesus Christ existed as God and then became a man so Jesus is God John chapter 5 verses 17 and 18 tells us that Jesus claimed to be equal with the Father Jesus claimed to be equal with God then we have an interesting passage in John chapter 8 John chapter 8 verses 23 to 24 and that reads and he was saying to them you are from below I am from above you are of this world I am not of this world I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he you shall die in your sins literally in the Greek he uses the words egoemi which means I am when you translate that back into the Hebrew of the Old Testament he is basically referring to himself as Yahweh the I am who spoke to Moses in Exodus 314 from the burning bush so Jesus Christ is basically saying in this passage unless you believe that I am Yahweh you will die in your sins and he probably makes it even more clear in verse 58 John chapter 8 verse 58 Jesus said to them truly truly I say to you before Abraham was born I am John chapter 10 Jesus makes it very clear John chapter 10 verses 30 to 33 he makes it very clear that he is equal with the Father that he is God in the flesh I and the Father are one the Jews took up stones again to stone him Jesus answered them I showed you many good works from the Father for which of them are you stoning me the Jews answered him for a good work we do not stone you but for blasphemy and because you being a man make yourself out to be God so it's very clear that the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is God also look at John chapter 20 verses 26 to 28 in fact 26 to 29 and after eight days again his disciples were inside and Thomas with them 
Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger, and see my hands, and reach here your hand, and put it into my side, and be not unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believe. So in John chapter 20, verses 26, we have a clear passage indicating that Jesus Christ is God. Now in the Greek, Thomas referred to Jesus as hakoriasmu kaihathiasmu, which literally means the Lord of me and the God of me, which makes it impossible to insert the word ah. Here you have the, the Lord of me and the God of me. And then Jesus doesn't yell at him for taking the Lord's name in vain, but tells him, because you have seen me, have you believed. In other words, Thomas was right. Jesus Christ is the Lord of him and the God of him. Now there are some problem texts, and these are the passages that the Jehovah's Witnesses refer to in an attempt to prove their case. Take a look at John chapter 14 and verse 28. John chapter 14 and verse 28. Jesus is speaking and he says, You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now, we've already seen many passages where Jesus claimed to be equal with the Father. Yet here, Jesus claims uh, that the Father is greater than him. The only real way to reconcile these passages is for us to understand the kenosis, the fact that Christ emptied himself of some of his glory in order to become a man. The fact that Christ voluntarily chose to lay aside his privilege to use certain divine attributes in order to become a man. When we recognize that, we see that the Father is greater than the Son in purpose, or uh, maybe I'll use a better word, in function. The Father is greater than the Son in function or in mission, and therefore the Son submitted to the Father. So the Father is greater than the Son in roles, the role or function that need to be played. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, another problem passage. In fact, it's not, it's not the right passage. Cross out Revelation 3.14. In fact, that might be Revelation 1.14. Let's take a look at Revelation 1.14. And it's not that easier either, so we're having a hard time right here. Uh, 
Okay, let's hold off on that Revelation passage. Take a look at Colossians 1.15. Colossians 1.15. Now, Colossians 1.15 passage is one of the first passages that the Jehovah's Witnesses will turn to in an attempt to disprove the deity of Christ. And that reads, And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And so, the Jehovah's Witness claim that since Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, that means he's the first thing that was created. And therefore, he is not the God, but he is a God, a lesser God than the Father, and that he was created at a point in time. He was the first thing created, and then he created everything else. The problem with this interpretation is that the firstborn can be taken two ways. It can be the first in sequence, or it can be the first in importance. For instance, with Jacob and Esau, Esau was born first, but Jacob is referred to as the firstborn. What does that mean? That means that Jacob was not born first, but that he was the preeminent one. He was the most important one. He was first in importance. And Jesus Christ is the creator, but Jesus Christ is also part of the creation in that he became a man. And he is the most important, the first in importance, of all creation because he is God become a man and so this passage presents no problem there also in Proverbs chapter 8 verse 22 where wisdom is spoken of is personified and very often Jehovah's Witnesses say well that's talking about Jesus wisdom is Jesus he's the wisdom of God but it says that wisdom had a beginning. Uh, I think that's a highly symbolic passage. Wisdom is also in the feminine, and it's doubtful that it refers to the presence, the person of Jesus. Even if it did refer to the person of Jesus, uh, the begatting, the beginning of this wisdom uh, can be taken two ways. It does not necessarily have to mean uh, came into existence. There are other ways to take it, but I don't even think that that is referring to Christ anyway. And then finally, if you look at Jude verse 9, if you look at Jude verse 9, we have an interesting passage. Remember, the Jehovah's Witnesses state that Jesus is not God. He is a God. He's not the God. He is a God. He is Michael the Archangel. He is God's first creation who created all else. But remember, they say that he's Michael the Archangel, but look at Jude verse 9. It reads, But Michael the Archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. In other words, Michael the Archangel is not the Lord. Instead, he called on the Lord to rebuke Lucifer. And so Michael the Archangel is not Jesus. Jesus is the God of the Bible. Remember also in Hebrews chapter 1, the passage distinctly says, 
And to which of the angels did he say, Thou art my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased? Or thou art, thou art my beloved son, uh, today I have begotten thee. In other words, uh, God never calls the angels his only begotten son, yet he called Jesus the second person of the Trinity that. So Jesus is not an angel. Jesus is not Michael the archangel. Now in the Old Testament at times he's referred to as the angel of the Lord. There it's talking about the fact that he serves a purpose as a messenger, but he is not an angel as far as being an angelic being. And so the deity of Christ, Jesus is not the God, he is a God, according to them, the Jehovah's Witness, he's Michael the Archangel, he's God's first creation who created all else. This is false. Obviously the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is the God. Second thing I like to mention, of course, is the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. The Jehovah's Witnesses deny the doctrine of the Trinity. They state that only the Father is God. Jesus is his first creation, and the Holy Spirit is God's active force. Let me repeat that. The Jehovah's Witnesses deny the Trinity by teaching that only the Father is God, that Jesus is his first creation, and the Holy Spirit is simply God's active force. Now remember that Isaiah 43.10, God is speaking, and he tells us that before me there was no God formed, nor will there be one after me. So there is only one God. It's very clear from the scriptures. Taught also in 1 Timothy 2.5 that there is only one God. It's taught over and over again throughout the scriptures. But Galatians 1.1 tells us that God the Father, that the Father is God. Galatians 1.1 tells us that the Father is God. Acts 5.3 and 4 tells us that Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit and that they lied to God, not man. And so the Holy Spirit is called God. Acts 5, 3, and 4. And then in Titus 2.13, Jesus Christ is referred to as our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Isaiah 43.10 says there is only one God, Galatians 1, 1 says the Father is God. Acts 5, 3, and 4 says the Holy Spirit is God. Titus 2, 13 says that Jesus is God. And then we have several passages which teach that there are three separate persons. Look at Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, the voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So you have Jesus coming out of the water, the Holy Spirit coming down upon him like a dove, and the Father's voice saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
three separate persons. Also look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And verse 26, Jesus is speaking and he states this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit, that's one person, will be sent by the Father, that's two persons, and he will bring to the Apostles' remembrance all that I all that Jesus said to them as three persons. And so the Bible is very clear. There is only one God. The Father is God. The Son is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. And they are three separate persons. Hence the doctrine of the Trinity. There is only one true God. But this one true God exists eternally as three co-equal persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Point three in the theology of the Jehovah's Witnesses, their view of the Holy Spirit. Their view of the Holy Spirit. Their view of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is God's active force. The Holy Spirit is, according to the Jehovah's Witnesses, is God's active force that accomplishes His will. The Holy Spirit is God's active force that accomplishes His will. The Holy Spirit, according to the Jehovah's Witnesses, is not a person. The Holy Spirit is not a person, according to the Jehovah's Witnesses. But John 14, 16 says differently. Jesus is talking about the Father and the Holy Spirit, and he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. And verse 17 says, that is the spirit of truth. It's talking about the Holy Spirit, but he says that he will be with us forever. Another helper. Uh, the word for another there, too, also means another of the same kind. John 15, 26. Jesus states there, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. So when the Helper comes, he will bear witness of Christ. Obviously, that's a personal being, not just a force. Ephesians 4.30 tells us, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit is a personal being, since he can be grieved. Acts chapter 5, verse 3, Ananias and Sapphira. And again there we learn that the Holy Spirit can be lied to. You can't lie to a force, but you can lie to the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, and verse 29. Acts 8, verse 29, and that reads, and the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. And so the Holy Spirit speaks. Again, a personal being. Look at Acts chapter 10 and verse 19. Acts 10 and verse 19. And while, Pe and while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. 
So again, the Holy Spirit speaks in Acts 10, 19. Look at Acts 13, verse 2. And while they were ministering, ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Again, the Holy Spirit speaks. Only a personal being would speak, not a force. And then Acts 21 and verse 11. And that reads, And coming to us, he took Peter's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And so there the Holy Spirit speaks and predicts an event. So the Holy Spirit is definitely a personal being. He is not simply God's active force that accomplishes his will. Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong, and the Holy Spirit is a personal being. Another view, another heretical view of the Jehovah's Witnesses centers on Christ's resurrection. Christ's resurrection. You see, the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus was raised a spirit being. He was not raised bodily from the dead. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus Christ was raised a spirit being. He was not raised bodily from the dead. Let's take a look at this. Look at John chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. John chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews therefore said, It took forty-six years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So Jesus Christ, according to the Apostle John here, John chapter 2, verses 19 and 21, Jesus Christ makes it very clear that he was going to raise the temple of his body, he was going to raise his body from the dead. He was not going to raise himself as a spirit being, but he was going to raise his body from the dead. Look at John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verses 26 to 27. This is after Jesus has risen from the dead. John chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. And after eight days, again, his disciples were inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it into my side, and be not unbelieving, but believing. And so Jesus says, Hey, I'm not a spirit being. I have a body of flesh and bones. If you don't believe me, feel my hands and my feet, feel the wounds in my hands and my feet. Jesus was raised bodily from the dead. The same body that was crucified, that's why he had the marks, the wounds, from the crucifixion. Look at Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 to 43. 
And while they were telling these things, Luke 24, 36 to 43, and while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst after the resurrection. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it for joy, and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. I said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which were written about me in the law and the prophets, and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, must be fulfilled. And I read one verse too many there. But Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 43, Jesus Christ says, Hey, look, I'm not a spirit. You think you're seeing a spirit, but here I am in flesh and bones. He says, the spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then just in case they still didn't believe, he sat down and ate some food with them. And so it's very clear that the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ rose bodily from the dead, contrary to what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. Now, rather than go any further with the study, I'm just going to recap briefly what we've covered so far. And then we'll pick it up in the next lecture. We'll finish up the Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses is the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. They were founded by Charles Taze Russell, also known as Pastor Russell. At that time, they were known as the Russellites. Joseph Franklin Rutherford, Judge Rutherford, picked up the ball where Russell left off, and they began to emphasize the word Jehovah at that time. President in 1942 with Nathan Homer Knorr. At that time, all Watchtower literature began to be written anonymously, and the New World Translation of the Bible came into existence during Knorr's reign as president. Frederick W. Franz became president in 1977, and he has been long considered the Watchtower's leading theologian. The headquarters of the Jehovah's Witnesses is Brooklyn, New York. The growth is over 4 million members worldwide. And theologically, we discussed the fact that the Jehovah's Witnesses deny the deity of Christ. They teach that Jesus is not the God, he is a God. He is Michael the Archangel, God's first creation, who created all else. We presented biblical evidence to show that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the God of the Bible. We also mentioned that the Jehovah's Witnesses deny the Trinity. They teach that only the Father is God, Jesus is his first creation, and the Holy Spirit is God's active force. And again, we presented scripture to show the Bible teaches there is only one God, but that this one God exists eternally as three equal persons. We stated that the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the Holy Spirit is God's active force that accomplishes his will, and that he is not a personal being, 
But we show that the Bible clearly teaches that the Holy Spirit is in fact a personal being. And then we stated that the Jehovah's Witnesses denied the physical resurrection of Christ from the dead. They deny that Christ bodily rose from the dead, and they teach that Jesus was raised as a spirit being. But we show that the scriptures are very clear that Jesus did in fact physically and bodily rise from the dead 2,000 years ago. So that's our first message on the Jehovah's Witnesses, and it closes lecture number three on the cult. We'll pick, your, we'll pick it up with the second lecture on the Jehovah's Witnesses in the next lecture. Thank you, and God bless you.